Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Our mission statement at Oak Mountain is engaging every neighbor with the surprising power of grace over the fence of our backyard, over the mountain into the city, overseas to the nations, and even over the pew to those who might be in front of us, behind us, or beside us. God has a heart for the nations. He always has. And we see his heart for the nations in the book of Jonah. Turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah, however, the prophet, was a rebellious prophet. He didn't want the gospel to go to the nations. He didn't want the gospel to go to the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were cruel. They were barbaric. They were horrible in how they treated the peoples that they conquered. And Israel was in Assyria's sights. And so Jonah in his nationalism, caring only about Israel and not about the nations, actually disobeyed God by not going to Nineveh and in fact went the opposite direction. I believe we have a very unique opportunity ahead of us. It looks as though by God's grace we are getting on top of this COVID thing. It looks like soon, perhaps, things will be opening up more and more. And when that happens, I do believe there will be a pent-up spiritual interest. People who have not been open to the gospel, when things are finally open up, open up they, they will realize to some extent that they need God in their lives. I believe we have people streaming right now who've stumbled across our website. And they will be joining us as well. And so we need to be ready with a heart prepared to reach out to those around us and to shout among the nations that our God is God. Now, Jonah failed to do that. He ran away. But what we learn about God and His love and kindness and patience and grace and mercy is that He pursued Jonah, even in his rebellion. And God pursues us as well, even when we run away. Our theme for the study is relentless pursuit. And this morning's theme in particular is God's relentless pursuit of us through prayer. Now, when we get to this prayer in Jonah 2, oftentimes people miss the prayer because they only focus on the fish, right? A big fish was appointed by God to swallow Jonah. And people just go off into all these thoughts and conversations about the fish. Was it a whale? Well, we're pretty certain it wasn't a whale because there aren't many whales in the Mediterranean Sea. Well, what kind of fish was it? And is there any record of people being swallowed whole by a whale or by a big fish? Who cares? God is God. 
God spoke and a billion galaxies flew into space instantaneously. If God wants to create a new fish that has one job, one task, and that is to swallow Jonah, who are we to argue with God? We don't need any studies about whether there are any records of any man surviving time in the belly of a fish. You see how easy it is for us to be led astray? Jonah 2 is not about a fish. It's about praying in the belly of a fish, which I'm sure all of us have experienced. Now, you may not have prayed from the belly of a fish, but how about the belly of despair? How about the belly of fear? How about the belly of anxiety, the belly of loss, the belly of isolation, the belly of loneliness? We've all been in those depths. But since so many think this is a fish story, uh, I want to kick things off with a bit of a fish story of my own. The first century church grew very quickly. It started in Jerusalem, spread throughout the Roman Empire. And as a result of the spread of Christianity, early on, uh, the Jews and then later the Romans deeply persecuted Christians. It was very dangerous to be known as a Christian, to be revealed as a follower of Christ. Now, these first century Christians, second century Christians, they were very bold. They were very courageous in the spirit of God. But there's no sense in being a fool. There's no sense in just going out and getting arrested and and playing the martyr. So they learned very subtle ways to try to discover who was a Christian or not. So two strangers would meet along the road and Oh, they'd just be sort of playing with their feet or doodling around with a stick. And, and one of the people would sort of make a line. Now, the other person might be completely unaware, might even see it and have no idea. Maybe it's just a doodle. But if the person was a Christian, either using the stick or his or her foot, they would complete the line. And that is the Christian fish. It was the way Christians identified secretly with each other as believers. Now, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. Iota, chi, theta, upsilon, sigma. That's actually the word for fish. But we adopted the symbol, the marker... Because ichthus is also an acrostic. Jesus Christos Theu Weas Soter. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And so the mark of the Christian fish, the Greek word ichthus, became an acrostic that became a declaration of Christian faith. Well, in our fish story this morning, that's not really a fish story, that's really about prayer, 
we're going to use an acrostic as well. P-R-A-Y. Process, reflect, adore, and yield. And we're going to learn that as we apply that acrostic to our hearts, we will experience more and more of God's pursuit of us just like Jonah experienced God's pursuit of him. Even in his rebellion, even in his disobedience, even as he ran away. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's word and follow along as I read Jonah 1 verse 17 through 2 verse 10. This is God's word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. By the way, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, that Christ was raised according to the Scriptures, what Scriptures? This one right here. Jesus says in Matthew 12, the sign of this generation will be the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the earth, in death. So God uses a rebellious prophet as the means by which the scriptures foretold that Jesus would rise from the dead. Pretty amazing. 2 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. Again, the roots of the mountains of the depths of the sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Most likely on the shores of the Mediterranean, where Jonah had originally gotten on the boat near Joppa, just south of what is now Tel Aviv. This is God's word. It is inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative. He gave it to us because he loves us, and he wants us to experience his relentless pursuit, especially this morning as we learn how to P-R-A-Y. Let's pray. God, we do ask that you would teach us from Jonah, and thank you for the hope Jonah gives us, that when we're knuckleheads, uh, you still pursue us. And not only that, 
you can use us in a way so great that, that as a result of Jonah's rebellion, we have the scriptures that point to the resurrection. So Lord, surprise us this morning and teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> so no matter how far we run, no matter how far we fall, God pursues us. And we can experience that pursuit as we pray. P-R-A-Y. The P stands for process. Now, I'm not talking about giving you a process to pray. What I'm talking about is we experience God's relentless pursuit as we process our hearts with God. You know, I'm amazed at, at how few people treat God as a person. I want you to think of a friend, a very dear friend, a friend with whom you process your heart. You tell them when you're depressed. You tell them when you're fearful or anxious. You don't just tell them, but you share what it is and why it is that you're afraid or anxious or depressed. You pour out your heart. Just like you would to a counselor. And what happens when you talk to a friend like that or talk to a counselor like that? You hopefully experience some unburdening of your heaviness. When we experience, if we're to experience God's relentless pursuit we need to learn to pour out our heart to God, just like we would a friend or a spouse or a counselor. All through this passage, and by the way, Jonah chapter 2 is basically a psalm. It's Jonah's psalm. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of vulnerability. It's a song of of authenticity. And in this song or psalm, Jonah processes the thoughts and feelings and desires of his heart with God. If you look at the psalm, he, and you listened as I was reading, uh, Jonah shares that he feels abandoned. He shares that he feels banished. He shares that he feels overwhelmed, that he feels trapped. He shares that he feels his story might be over. But then he also shares some hope. And he expresses that to God. He shares thanksgiving with God. And what he's happy about with God. Now, did God already know this? Of course he did. Did God know what Jonah was thinking? Of course he did. Did God know what Jonah was feeling? Of course he did. Did God know already what Jonah was longing for? Of course he did. When you pray, when you pour out your heart, does God already know? Of course he does. So why do it? What a waste. He knows it. Why do I need to tell him? Well, what happens when you actually pour out your heart? To a counselor. What happens when you pour out your heart 
to a beloved spouse or a very close friend. You experience heart change. Your attitude changes. Your perspective changes. See, prayer isn't just about making all these requests. Prayer is pouring your heart out to God, and oftentimes that's actually what leads to the right requests. So before you start just asking God for stuff, process your heart that is behind the request you want to immediately make. Listen, these past 12 months have been rough. They've been rough on all of us. They've been roughest perhaps on first responders. But I need to let you know, they've been really rough on pastors too. There are studies that are coming in every day that half of the pastors in America are ready to quit. Why? Because no matter what a pastor has tried to do as far as leadership over the past 12 months, basically 50% of his congregation is going to be angry about. Masks, no masks, social distancing, no social distancing, not meeting, meeting, not having some programming, having some programming. And no matter what the pastor decides, basically half the congregation is going to be mad. Racial tension, different views that people have on what's happening in the cities, some that love to focus on the destruction, some that are focused on the racism that brought about the destruction without in any way condoning the the destruction. Politics, people who think the church should stand up and be Republican. People who think just the opposite. No matter what a pastor does today, it's lose-lose. Every pastor I know has had a bunch of people leave their church over all of these issues because they didn't like what the pastor was saying. And the pastor, for the most part, wasn't preaching a hobby horse. The pastor was simply seeking to disciple his people in the Scriptures. So what do I do? I've experienced it. Lord, I'm so frustrated. I don't say, well, I know you know that. No, that's not the point. I'm relating to my father as a father. I'm relating to Jesus as a friend. I'm not playing these ridiculous, silly theological games. Oh, you already know this. I don't need to tell you. No, I am pouring out my heart to God. God, I feel so insecure. I feel so unsure. And I'm really angry 
because everybody else thinks they're so sure about what they believe. When in fact, they've got no business at all to feel that sure. So God, I'm frustrated. God, I'm having a hard time loving your sheep right now. God, what I really want is what's best for your church. God, I don't want to be so consumed with being right. I just want to be wise. God, I I don't want to care about how people react to whatever decision we recommend. You're the only audience I want to care about. But God, the fact is you're not. I'm sort of an approval addict, God. I care about what people think, and it really hurts when people leave. God, I feel like if I was just a better leader or a better teacher or a better preacher, then people wouldn't leave. But God, you are my God. And you sent this. And you're in control. And so God, I want to do what is loving even if half the church doesn't believe it is. And I want to do what is wise even if half the church doesn't think it is. And God, I want to be so grounded in you that half the church could leave and I could still have joy because I have you. And so God, make me a man who is willing to seek your face first. And free me from any ego in what's happening at Oak Mountain. Good or challenging. God, I love you. Now, what do you experience as you hear me rehearse that kind of a prayer? Let me give you some multiple or some 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 very easy yes/no questions. Are you repulsed or are you drawn? I guess that's not yes/no. <laughs> it's it's a very simple multiple choice. Are you hardened or are you softened? Do you bow up or do you break in the best sense of the word? Do you feel peace or do you feel anxiety? See, as we process our hearts with God, and share with him as a person, not a concept. As a friend, and not just this far-off distant deity. It changes us, and we experience the reality of his relentless pursuit. P equals 
process. Secondly, R equals reflect. Regardless of what you may think of Jonah, and he is a little bit of a, not a little bit, he's a rebel, he's disobedient. He's going the opposite way God's called him to go. He knows God's word. You need to know that Jonah's psalm is compiled completely from a whole list of David's psalms. Okay? King David wrote his psalms, let's say in round numbers in 1000 B.C. The events of Jonah occurred, let's say, round numbers 750 B.C. So the psalms of David have been around for 250 years. And it is so very clear that Jonah knows David's psalms because every single verse is not Jonah's ultimately. It's lifted. It's plagiarized. But it's okay because that's how God wants us to pray. He wants us to reflect on the Scriptures and pray the Scriptures. So for instance... Verse 3, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. That's directly from Psalm 69. Verse 4, I said I am driven away from your sight. That's Psalm 31, 22. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounds me. Weeds were wrapped up on my head at the roots of the mountains. That is the bottom of the sea. That's Psalm 18. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's Psalm 31, 6. Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. That's Psalm 8, or Psalm 3, verse 8, when David is fleeing from his own son Absalom because Absalom's trying to kill him. The point is, when we don't know how to process our hearts, I say this kindly, but some of us are so unself-aware, we don't even know what's going on inside of our hearts. So if you don't even know what's going on inside of your hearts, how can you process your heart with God? Well, you have the Psalms. And the Psalms can help give voice to your heart when you don't even know what you're feeling. Now, some of you are thinking, all this feeling stuff... You've just revealed to me, and I can say this gently, you know very little about God. God created us with thoughts, feelings, desires, and will. And He longs to relate to us as people. And he longs to be related to as a personal God. You know, the the world may think that it's got the corner on the market on processing feelings. The Psalms did it long before the counseling world did. It's just emotional, spiritual health. And so if you don't even know how to process your heart with God, reflect on the Psalms. In 1924, the University of Notre Dame with their famous coach, Newt Rockne, was playing Princeton in a football game. The game was at Princeton. Uh, Notre Dame had somehow gotten there, bust in at that early age. I don't know how they did it. 
But Newt Rockne, the famous coach, uh, you know Newt Rockne, right, with Ronald Reagan uh, playing uh, the Gipper, uh, where the Gipper uh, was one of the Notre Dame players who died, and, and the famous win one for the Gipper speech. Well, that's Newt Rockne who, who gave that speech. So Rockne was known for his motivational speaking to the Notre Dame football team. But he lost his voice, and he couldn't say a word. But the locker rooms had really, really thin walls uh, during that time. And uh, when Rockney couldn't speak and the players were waiting for him to speak, they could hear, like he was right there with a microphone, the Princeton coach giving his motivational talk, his pep talk to the Princeton team. And Rockney said, everybody sit down, shush, and listen to that pep talk. And then when he was finished, he said, that's the best pep talk I've ever heard. You guys go out, use that, and win with that. And they did. See, the point is, when we lost our voice of our heart before God, use someone else's. Use the Psalms. Reflect on the Psalms and pray to God. P, process. R, reflect. A, adore. Through this passage... Jonah begins adoring God again. In verse 1, he calls the Lord his God once more. He says in verse 2 that God answered him. He says in verse 6 that God brought his life up from the pit. He's filled with thankfulness and gratitude. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. All these elements of adoration of God. And that's powerful. That helps us experience God's relentless pursuit. Psalm 22 verse 3 says that God inhabits or indwells the praises of His people. So as we praise, God's Spirit falls. As we adore, God inhabits those praises. You know, I I know that it's easy for some of us to come late, and there's maybe good excuses. Um, it's hard to get children around. It's hard to get youth up. I get it. Okay, been there, done that. But you have no idea what you're missing out on. It, uh, ironically, it says in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In another version, it says forfeit the grace that could be theirs. When when uh, trust me, uh, there's not an angry, frustrated bone in my body right now as I say this. You come late for worship, you're forfeiting the grace that could be yours. I'm just going to say it. So come and adore God and you'll experience His relentless pursuit in ways you never did before. I can remember uh, Laurie and I being on uh, Campus Crusade for Christ staff. It's called Crew now. Uh, we were down at Florida State in Tallahassee. And it was a season where uh, Campus Crusade crew was really wanting to pray for, for revival. And it really affected me because to this day, I still pray for revival in all of my prayer groups. And uh, Bill Bright, the president, would make these tapes uh, show how old I am. They were, in fact, tapes. 
and, uh, and there was some teaching, and then there was a bunch of singing, and as a staff team, we were to get together and sing along with the tape. And one of the songs, it's so silly and so trite and such a little ditty that it's one of those annoying songs you'll never forget. Okay, it's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. It's been 40 years. I still got that silly thing in my head. I'll be cooking. Lord will be coming up from downstairs. And I'm like, it's amazing what praising can do. Hallelujah. And now, I am so sorry, folks, because now you're never going to forget it. Okay? But in a way, I'm glad it's so ridiculous and I've never forgotten it. Because it really is amazing what praising can do. It really is. It's supernatural. Process, reflect, adore, and then finally yield. Verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. God has been gently breaking Jonah. Breaking Jonah of his pride. Breaking Jonah of his willfulness. Breaking Jonah of his rebellion. Breaking Jonah of disobedience. And he finally gets to the points where the pagan, the point where the pagan sailors were. You know, when the pagan sailors threw Jonah into the sea and the sea became calm, they ended up saying, Jonah's still lifting words. He ends up repeating what the pagans said. They said they would sacrifice to God. Jonah's finally there. By the way, sacrifice isn't just a sacrifice of praise. Romans 12, 1, because of the mercies of God, because of the grace of God, present your bodies. That means all of you, a living sacrifice. So if, if this is the altar that's about to go up in flames, we are to just lay down on it with open hearts and open hands. Take me, Lord, here I am. That's yielding. That's surrender. And as we truly begin to experience God's relentless pursuit of our hearts through prayer, He brings us to the point of being more yielded. Look at verse 9. What I have vowed, I will pay. He's just lifting the words of the pagans again. That's what they said. When they were converted on the spot, And again, how do we know they're converted? Because it says they feared the Lord exceedingly. That is a very rare term that has to do with deep trust in God. And they said, what we have vowed, we will pay. And that's what Jonah says. Again, as he processed his heart, God met him and changed his heart. Then he says in verse 9 at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. He's finally yielding his will to God's will. God, if, if you want to save a bunch of barbaric pagans who lop off the heads of the people they conquer, that is your prerogative. Who am I to tell you who to save or not save? Jonah is yielded and he communicates with God that yielded heart. And that's critical to us experiencing God's relentless pursuit. 
So the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out on the dry land, verse 10. And everyone lived happily ever after. Nope. What we're going to learn in the next chapter is Jonah isn't even that yielded. As a matter of fact, you'll struggle to find a single evidence of repentance in this prayer. Jonah is relieved to be rescued from the sea. And his actions in Jonah chapter 3 reveal that he's, he's a little bit more yielded than he was. And yet, God pursues him where he is and gives him another chance. The lesson there is be yielded where you are and stop worrying about being yielded where you think you should be. See, Jonah could have said, I'm not yielded in everything. I've not laid it all out. So I might as well not yield in anything. What's the point? I'm a failure. I just can't be the man God wants me to be, the woman God wants me to be. No, God met Jonah at the place of him being as yielded as he could be at the moment. See, sometimes my prayer is, God, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. You can do that, right? I mean, you've got to be really, really hard-hearted to not be willing to say that. God, I, I need to admit, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Just please, you know, be gentle. <laughs> like, how about you today? How, how yielded are you? How surrendered are you? And, and can you just go to God and yield and surrender where you are? Not worrying about where you think you should be or where other people say you should be. But can you just say, God, here I am. I wish I was in a different place. I'm not. But where I am, I yield. Where I can, I yield. And God met him. I want to close with a, a book that I can't wait to read my grandchildren. Some of you have heard it before. It's called The Runaway Bunny by Margaret Wise Brown. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away, so he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream, and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and fish for you. Then, said the bunny, I will become a bird and fly away from you. And his mother said, if you become a bird, then I will become a tree that you can come home to. Well, then I will become a boat and sail away from you. If you become a boat, said his mother, I will become the wind and blow you where I want you to go. Well, then I will become a little boy and run into a house. And his mom said, if you become a little boy and run into a house, then I will become your mother and catch you in my arms and hug you. Well, shucks, said the bunny. I might just as well stay where I am and be your little bunny. 
So he did. God pursues his children. But you will experience that pursuit as you engage in P-R-A-Y. Process your heart. Reflect on the Psalms. Adore God. And yield where you are. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that we would learn lessons of humility in prayer. And God, I especially ask that we could process our hearts with you. Oh God, how you long for that. It's amazing. It's a mystery. It blows my mind. If you know it, why do you care? And yet you do. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that's not processed their heart with regard to unbelief, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. They transfer their trust from themselves to Jesus and the promises of grace. Lord, for the rest of us, help us to really put to practice uh, this P-R-A-Y acrostic. We do love you, Lord. Continue to pour out your favor upon your church. In Jesus' name, amen.